Welcome to this episode of Black Party. Our guest today is Dan Patello, a salt of the earth New Yorker and founder of Marpipe. Suffice it to say, Dan blew our minds this episode with his riveting take on the current digital marketing industry. He took us through a cursory history of marketing, its inherent pitfalls, and why it stands ripe for disruption. Marpipe, an abbreviated take on marketing pipelines, is a completely data-driven and highly efficient marketing solution that is effectively declaring war on the current digital marketing agency scene. Using machine learning and a proprietary process developed by the team at Marpipe, they've developed a highly effective way to leverage insights from ad networks for their clients by extrapolating data and then creating and running hundreds of ad campaigns on minimal ad spend. Marpipe then iterates through these ad campaigns until it finds the highest converting set of permutations. Their approach is refreshingly transparent and their clients have seen upwards of 4x return on investment. Marpipe is above all ROI focused. Its clients are given actionable steps based on real data that has already performed in a real market environment. We also talk about the future of Marpipe. Dan tells us how he plans to simulate these digital marketing metrics for industries through traditional marketing avenues such as billboard placements and subway ad campaigns, to name a few. We learned a ton this episode from Dan, and we can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. So without further ado, here is the Marpipe episode. Hey guys, how you doing? Today we are we are joined by Dan Patello of Marpipe and uh, super excited about this podcast and I hope you guys are too. And if you're not, you will be once this episode is over because uh, Dan has some really interesting stuff to tell us about the marketing world. By, by, by all means, we, uh, we, we, we met last week and when you uh, were talking to us over here at WeWork, we, uh, I was actually really fascinated by... Uh, I've always been fascinated by marketing and like advertising in general. And I always thought like, like so much goes into how much me, how much we actually push out brands and media across all different types of platforms, social, uh, through TV. It's, it's super interesting, but I feel like a lot of people in general don't really know how the, the cookie gets made. And, uh, obviously you have, a wealth of experience when it comes to digital marketing when it comes to brand awareness and through marpipe your your product essentially uh takes a new approach to how uh marketing is handled more data-driven machine learning uh jesus christ chris yo let, let the man breathe oh, yeah, let, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's say yo let's introduce him first yeah. man let you know what uh dan how about you introduce yourselves tell us your guests you know tell our guests who you are yeah absolutely so yeah. um so um uh, I've been working in, I've, I've always been fascinated uh, in the marketing world, you know, um, this whole journey for me started uh, when I was uh, freelancing as a search engine optimization freelancer uh, okay. to pay my way through college. It's SEO guys. Yeah, SEO. <laughs> um, I was um, I was doing a lot of projects for a lot of people. Um, I was also, um, I, I did uh, four paid internships at mar- big marketing firms. Um, and so you know, that kind of gave me this little uh, look into a window of really, you know, what you were just saying, how the cookie gets made in the marketing world. And let me tell you, it's not pretty, right? Um, there were a lot of things that I saw that uh, that were just definitely objectionable. Um, and a lot of, in the marketing world, there's so many things being done that are so arbitrary, right? 
Okay. Um, and, and that's, and, and really like, I mean, any, any technologist will sympathize with, uh, with a hate for arbitrary decisions, right? Um, we're people who look for logic, who look for data, um, who look for, for solid points to, to base our decision-making off of, right? And but do you mean Mar the, you know, your team at Marpipe or humans in general? Cause I would have to disagree with humans in general. Technologists. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Technologists, people yeah. who are into technology and who apply it to, to solve problems, um, do not like arbitrary decisions. Right. And we all know that agree. those are those are the people who are pushing forward uh, in terms of progress in every single industry. Right. You want you want a path of logic in everything that you do. You want rationality and decision making to be core to your methodology. Right. Okay. And unfortunately, in the marketing world, it's not. And the reason that's the fact is that, you know, it all comes comes back to like, let, let's 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 take this back. Let me take you through a little journey in, in through marketing history to just set the foundation of where we are. <laughs> Right. right. So um, the, the the father of modern advertising um, is a is a gentleman called David uh, Ogilvy. Okay. Um, OK, you may have heard of the massive firm that's still around today and dominates um, a lot of the Fortune 500 marketing business. It's called Ogilvy and Mather. Okay. Um, it's a massive firm. Um, it was started by David Ogilvy. Um, and he is widely ha like hailed and renowned as the father of uh, the father of modern uh, advertising. Um, I've read, I'm, I'm definitely a scholar of Ogilvy. I've read all his work. Um, I'm really fascinated by him. Um, and a lot of what we do, you know, even in our, in our reporting and our templates, there's, there's a page dedicated to talking about Ogilvy and, and, and what he did for our industry. Um, and, uh, by the way, side note, if you're, if you're interested in reading anything, if you're interested in reading about what I'm talking about, there's this, it's just, there's a book called Ogilvy on advertising. Um, it's, it's, it's phenomenal reading. Um, and it's, it's also really, uh, there's a lot of graphics in there and stuff. And so it's just an incredible read, but, um, he is the inspiration for Mad Men. Um, really? Mad Men is based on David Ogilvy and his peers. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you Any think of- Any specific character or like yeah, just the, the whole- Don. Yeah. Oh, wow. Don Draper. Don Draper. Damn. Yeah, Don okay. Draper was based off of David Ogilvy. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, you know, and, and David Ogilvy, like if you know who Don Draper is, you know who David Ogilvy is. Okay. Right? He was he, he had the, he had this reputation of, you know, being um, like clever and brilliant, but at the same time had his like, you know, core character flaws like, you know, and and uh, and so, um, you know, he said advertising is an art. Right. He, he, you know, he, he famously holds and, and declares and supports his thesis that advertising is art. Right. I mean, if you look at like Mad Men and, right. and you look at you look at how advertising has been done in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. How does it work? A brand is like, all right, here's a product we want to sell. OK. Yeah. And then and then they hand it over to the marketing executives or the ad executives. Right. Right. And they, what's their job to think of how to sell that product. So it's a bunch of dudes sitting in a room thinking about, well, what's the best way to sell this product. Right. And ultimately the idea that they decide on is the thing that they all agree on or like in the room. Right. right. And how it gets validated and turned into an actual marketing campaign that ends up on your newspapers and on your TV is they pitch it to the client. And if the client likes it, then they go ahead and execute that campaign. Okay. Without any confirmation that, whether it's good or bad, they just they just think this is a the right way to go, and then the client says, "Okay, go." And there's no real data behind this. That's right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an uh, you know these guys cook in cook in a lab. They they come up with some ideas and they pitch the client. The client's like, "Hey, I like that one. That's good." Well, see, the thing is, 
And every entrepreneur and new business owner and even people who run big companies will, will all sympathize with this pain point, right? You have a product and you love the product that you created, right? And you, it's the best product in the world to you, right? You're like, this is incredible, right? Right. And I love my foreman grill. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's so many value props and there's so many potential ways to pitch it. And there's so many different types of groups of people and audiences that you could think those could be great for. Um, but, but you're not an advertiser, right? And you have no idea how to best advertise this, right? I mean, like you are a, if you're selling grills, you're a grill maker. If you're selling headphones, you specialize in audio technology. You're not a marketer, right? right. To keep up with marketing in today's world is literally a full-time effort. It's a full-time job, right? It's moving so fast. It's evolving so quickly that you need to stay ahead of the curve. And just doing that in and of itself merits a full-time occupation. Right? right. And so entrepreneurs today can't multitask in this way. Right. And I mean, you know, they and every entrepreneur sympathizes with this. You can ask anyone who runs a business, you know, they love their product, but they're they're confused on how to how, how to reach these audiences, what the best messaging should be. And, you know, there's all these question marks on how to advertise something. And, you know, in the in, in the in the traditional marketing world that I'm describing here with the Mad Men scene, right? Yeah. I mean, th how how the how all those different factors around how a marketing campaign comes to life yeah. are just do the people in the room like it and does the client like it? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about what qualifies those people to make that decision, right? Um, the people who uh, create the idea, who are the advertising execs. They say, we're qualified to make this idea because we've been doing this for a long time. So we, 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 just, we, we just have a feeling for what'll work and what won't. I right? feel fundamentally, isn't that confirmation bias? Or doesn't that lead to flawed, uh, flawed logic? Yes. Yeah. And, and, then, and then what qualifies the client to, uh, to approve the idea is that they're the one paying the company. Right. Right. And so you can already see this insane entanglement of biases. Yeah. Right. Um, and ultimately, uh, it, it's it's literally just uh, an arbitrary process. Right. And those were the things that frustrated me because it's like, you know, if you if you work in an, in an ad agency or a marketing agency, it's like, all right, well, I have this idea, but someone who has who is more senior than me has a, a, an idea that I think is bad. But I can't voice that concern and I can't shoot them down because I report to them and ultimately their idea takes premises over mine. Right. And why? Because they've been around here longer. Yeah. Right. And so this industry has kind of devolved into like a, oh, uh, you know, uh, the more experience you have, the more qualified you are and, and doesn't factor in your performance at all. Right. It's just this it's 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 this like antiquated hierarchy that still exists mm. that doesn't exist in tech companies today. Right. In tech yeah. companies today, you can ascend to the top if you're a top performer. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's that's a beautiful thing. Right. It's a meritocracy. Right? right. Unfortunately, the marketing world isn't structured that way. Right. So and that's one of the frustrations that like led to, you know, me creating MarPipe, which, you know, I'd love to talk about. Um, yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds it seems like uh, what you're saying in today's marketing world, the, the more tenure you have, the more, I guess, authority you have to make arbitrary decisions. Exactly. <laughs> it seems so. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, almost every department. Yeah. I, no, no, I, I completely agree. Almost every other department I could think of, whether it's uh, sales or tech, it's you know, it's 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 pretty much quantitative. And and yeah. and and listen, if you if you confront someone from an agency publicly on the record, or you're interviewing them, and you're like, oh, you know, 
is it, is it true what they say? Is it true that, that just the people who are senior make decisions? They'll give you this spiel about how, you know, oh no, we, we take very precautious measures to, 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 to listen to everybody and factor in all the opinions and, and we do some research, but you talk to anyone who really works at one of these marketing agencies and, and you'll, you'll see the truth really quick. I mean, it, it's, 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 a, it's literally how the sausage gets made, right? Right. right. Um, and so, and I've been talking to these people for years because this is what I do. And, and I've been in these companies, I've been behind the scenes, I've been behind the curtains. And unfortunately, it, it really is just a, um, this old school hierarchy, right? And that's how decisions are made. And so the decision making, because the rationale and the impetus behind decision making um, is, is fundamentally still in the you know, 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of that still exists today, even with digital agencies, right? Yeah. You know, you what you think of a full service digital agency? It's a team of you know some guys. There, some some you know a, a bunch of a bunch of people who are great at you know creating the digital assets and deploying them across you know the the different the top ad networks like Google Ads and and Facebook Business Manager. Um, and you know, how do they come up with what they copyright? How do they come up with what what creative they use? Uh, like, what is what is the decision making process behind all of this? It, it's it's literally arbitrary. It's 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 them deeming themselves as being tastemakers enough to decide what's going to work well. Um, and of course, there's a testing process with digital, right? I mean, with traditional marketing, once you decide what's going to go up on a billboard, you really can't test and iterate fast, right? Yeah. Like, it's up there, right? But with digital, yeah, of course, you can test and a lot of agencies do that, right? But they're not methodical about like what they test. They'll throw something out and if it doesn't stick, they'll throw the next thing out with no real, with, with no, with no real methodology, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, so that those those are the inefficiency, the radical inefficiencies that exist in this trillions of dollars industry today, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and and um, and it's just a matter of time that it's it's broken and disrupted, right? I mean, people don't see the 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 potential for disruption in the in the marketing world and and how to apply um, how to apply machine learning and 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 modern and modern AI to solve these problems, right? Because computers are way smarter than us, right? Yeah. And computers don't make arbitrary decisions. No, it's, all, right? it's all quantity, it's all it, logical. Exactly. And so, so you know, Ogilvy says advertising is an art and most people agree with it, right? Most people agree and say, you know, and to a certain, to, to a certain extent, he'll, he'll never be wrong on that because, you know, human creativity is, is really core to um, to creating, um, you know, ads that inspire cultural movements and cultural phenomena. You know, you look at, you know, the Colin Kaepernick ads in Nike, in the Nike campaigns, right? You know, these, these are things that are creating true, like sociological and cultural impact. Um, and so there's always going to be a human touch to it, right? right? Um, but today advertising is not an art. Um, it's a science. Right. And 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 that's because of the uh, that that's that's due to one factor. It's that digital advertising enables uh, enables you to capture and and retain and work with and manipulate real time data. Yeah. And and not not just simple data like really complex data. If I serve you an ad, right? If if anyone who served an ad who sees an ad through one of my ad campaigns, 
I know so much about you just because you saw my ad. I know how long you looked at it. I know, you know, if, if you clicked on it, I can know your browser history, right? I know like what other sites you look on. I know what your intent is. I know, um, I, I know how much time you spend on my website and what areas you click and how long you're on it and where you go after you go to my website, right? right? I mean, I own you after <laughs> that point, right? Yeah. I know your, I own your data, right? And so when there's when and there's a reason you know working with data is a science right data science right because right. um it's it it it's 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 literally structured on the scientific method right i mean it, you can you can rapidly iterate and 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 essentially create hypotheses and prove or disprove them at 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 a speed of you know many many hundreds of decisions a second you know so that's that that sort of capability is not being leveraged today in in creative campaigns by these you know big big companies right and you know the question is why right like why why hasn't someone disrupted this already well there's a few issues right um one is that this world is really relationship based right right so like and, and I don't... We, we were talking about this before before we started rolling um yeah a lot of it is you know i guess sort of a network uh relationship based you know um i guess uh client you find a client you know this person this person knows that person and and that is that is how you know most of marketing works i feel like you yeah know, in, in terms of acquiring clients at least i feel like there's no quantitative, you know, I guess they could point to a marketing campaign. Hey, this marketing campaign did really well, but you know, at the end of the day, it is relationship based. And I don't know why it's so relationship based because it's like, if you look at any other, like, uh, like white collar service industry, you know, if someone doesn't perform, you fire them. Right. Right. But that doesn't seem to be the case with marketing so much. Yeah. Right. It seems, it seems to be like, Oh, well, if we had you on retainer for this amount of time, right. We have these deep relationships and and for another agency to be able to come in and say, hey, we'll outperform these people, it happens, but it's really hard. Right. Um, much harder, much more so than in, in other, um, you know, in other services and other industries, right? If you hire an engineer to build an application for your company right. and, they, and they totally fuck up, right? Then you're, you're, you don't care if you're friends with them. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's kaput. And, no, so, and, and so, you know, it's like you don't, you don't see this anywhere else in the tech space. And marketing is now in the tech space. So why does why do all these antiquated structures still exist in the marketing space? Right. And that's what I'm seeking to break. Right. Um, well, I mean, I, I've heard of like hundreds of thousands. Personally, I've been part of you know companies that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing campaigns that produced no ROI whatsoever, and it was just like, oh, it was a bad campaign or some. I was like, and then what and then the even hell? beyond that's that, insane. you know, they'll play up they'll play up these vanity metrics like. Well, we generated 1,000, 1 million impressions. Right. We generated click through. We're talking about brand awareness, right? Yeah. And all these things are, they don't mean anything, yeah. right? And, and another, another bone I have to pick with the marketing industry, listen, yeah. uh, listen, this is turning into a trash talk session about the marketing <laughs> industry, but, but I'm totally cool with that because I'm it's, here, it's I'm, I, stand, I stand here to debate the merits of this with anyone who wants to defend the traditional structure. Right. Like anyone who disagrees with me, please hit me up. Let's get let's get on the mic and let's talk about it because yeah. because they're there I'm just I will have this debate all day right right um, and so um, another bone I have to pick with them is um, is, 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 is exactly what you just said right which is like they use jargon like digital jargon because clients aren't caught up with clients don't know the difference between reach and impressions right yeah. many people don't 
to any digital market marketer, that's like a really simple distinction, right? But they use like, you know, all these metrics and all, all like vanity metrics and all this digital terminology, um, you know, in this field to essentially try to confute, like to, to, to make the client seem like they've done all this incredible stuff and it sounds so smart and it sounds so intricate. But in reality, the only thing the clients care about is how much money did I make from this? Right. Yeah. Marketing is an investment. You want a return on your investment. The only thing I care about, my communication with my clients is dead simple. Here's how much money you spent. Here's how much money you made. That's it. That's the only thing they care about. Yeah. Right. If they have other questions, let's talk about it for sure. We're down. You know, our reports are really comprehensive and show everything. Um, but nine times out of 10, any client call I have is oh, they, they're only concerned about those two things and what's working and what's not. Right. Right. And so, but uh, uh, those, those marketers that, that, you know, spend millions on campaigns that don't produce any ROI, we'll talk about all these other metrics that frankly, brands do not care about. Right. I mean, who cares about brand awareness if you can run a campaign for that same money that gives you three X return? Yeah. Right. right. I mean, you still get brand awareness that way. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's so, so, you know, and that's something that uh, I take really seriously with my team. When I'm onboarding a new team member, I'm, I'm really, really um, intense about um, client communications, right? Have you ever heard of Occam's Razor? Yeah. Yeah. So, simplest, so, simplest the, simplest an, the simplest solution to the problem is the best answer. Right. Right. And so, you know, in, you have to be empathetic to clients when you communicate with them and to brands and companies and entrepreneurs. They're not digital marketers. They don't get it, right? It's, is it, if, if I run a failure of a campaign, can I spin it so that it sounds like we did a great job for them? Absolutely. Any digital marketer can. That's why it's so dangerous. And that's why so many people leave engagements with digital marketing agencies feeling like they really got burned because they spend all this money, spend all this money, it's failing, it's failing, but these guys are spinning it, they're spinning it. And then what happens, you know, you, oh, you, you're, not, you're not seeing your money. And so you eventually, you know, you might have to break things off. And then, you know, I can't tell you the amount of clients I, I've had that were like so cautious to engage because they got burned so hard by these other guys who were just like a spin factory, you right. know? Um, and so, so that's what's dangerous. And, and that's why in client communications, I advocate for two things uh, uh, first and foremost, right? Like if a team member isn't doing this, I won't let them communicate with clients on my behalf. And it's, it's, it's one is that you can't use jargon. And you have to you have to say everything in this in the simplest way possible. There like there's there's in in a in a situation where it's so easy to spin things. Mm -hmm. Like this is a zero spin zone. If they're doing bad, if their campaign is doing bad, they need to be well aware of that, right? Like we know when a campaign is flopping. We have had campaigns that have flopped, and we need to communicate that to the client and say because like. This is a this is supposed to be a, not a parasitic relationship where I'm making money off of the client and they're not making money. The whole point of them engaging with digital marketers is for a mutually beneficial relationship, right? And so, you know, if we're not making money together, we shouldn't be working together. And the fact that I'm going to lose out on a retainer fee doesn't really matter to me because I'm only interested in partnerships that are lucrative for both parties involved, right? right? I, I I don't feel good about working with clients that we're not we're not like making them them money, right? It doesn't yeah. feel good to me, right? No, and absolutely. So, I mean, at that point, it's they're paying you the fee, and then the ad spend that they're what whatever the ad spend is is just ridiculous. It adds up, you know. It's a oh, lot yeah. of money, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We we've we've managed in the past year over a million dollars of ad spend yeah. on the behalf of our clients. Jeez. Yeah. Um. So so and that's that's not really that much compared to other digital agencies, right? right? Yeah. Um. That's actually relatively small. Um, but that experience has showed us so much about, you know, 
of course, when you, when you manage a million dollars of ad spend, you run campaigns that don't do well, right? It's inevitable, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't win everything, right? And most agencies have all these skeletons in their closet, right? They talk about all their, the case studies they present and bring forward are like their three best campaigns out of hundreds and over 50% of their campaigns did bad, right? And so it's like, you never know, you don't have that level of transparency when you're engaging with digital marketers. You don't know what things they fucked up before. Right? right. And so, you know, there's all these issues of transparency, communication, um, and, and, and just like methodology um, and structure that exists in the marketing world. Right. I mean, we just identified four major flaws yeah. with this industry as a whole, and it's an over trillion dollar industry. Does it sound like something that's ripe for disruption? I think yeah, so. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that this is what your company, Marpipe, is all about. Like, right this 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 new approach could you explain to us like how 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 do you actually tackle this how do you actually go about uh just upending this what seems right. to be super archaic right. like structure that all these larger marketing uh agencies are just hammering away at right well it starts with one thesis one central thesis which is that computers can create ads that work better than those made by humans that's our thesis it's been proven time and time again by every exercise that we've ever done. And let's dive, let's like unpack that a little bit, right? Okay. Um, so um, in, when you think about um, building cities, like urban planning and city planning, right? Is that an art or is that a science? That's a good think? question. Cause um, I think some cities actually had uh, people, well, not cities, but my university, Stony Brook University had a couple of um, buildings planned or a couple of dormitories planned by the same people that designed uh, jails and prison systems. Mm -hmm. And you could clearly tell that they had mm -hmm. an influence on that. And it was just like really like a solitary type of, mm -hmm. you know, um, it wasn't really communal, if it right. makes sense. Right. So I, I don't know where you're going with that, but I guess uh, it does have an influence. Well, you got go ahead. I would, I would, I would say, I would say there's a, there's a certain science to it. You have to, you have to actually plan for a hundred years. You have to plan for the inevitability that your work is gonna outlast you. It's, it can't just be an art. Right, 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 right. And so, so how, how do they do that today, right? Today we have extremely, sophisticating, uh, extremely sophisticated systems in place for uh, build, building in cities and, and urban planning, right? And um, any architect will tell you, oh, architecture, of course, is an art, right? And it is, of course, architecture is an art, yes. right? And of course, building things is an art. Um, However, um, today, uh, urban planning and city planning is something that is, uh, all those decisions are made by machines. Um, they're made by machines that run simulations that are extremely similar to Sims 3. Um, <laughs> in fact, they're built on the same basic technology, which is essentially, um, they can replicate a 3D model, a 3D rendering of any city, right? And experiment with different structures in different places, and then simulate how the flow of traffic uh, acts and and what what sort of blockages and 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 like what what things can go wrong like it's kind of like the butterfly effect you put one thing in one place right and you may cause an obstruction that's happening three miles away wow. right how do you predict those kind of things humans can't do that no right not at all you need machines to run sophisticated simulations that can actually um, that can actually like work all these things out right because there's so many moving parts there's so many moving pieces there's so many variables you need to account for it's truly almost impossible it, it, it well it is impossible for a human to account for those factors and variables you can only see the small picture as a human right mm -hmm. a machine that's running a sophisticated simulation can see the entire picture 
right? And see how the people coming in from the subways and off the metro stations and all that and leaving from work and going to lunch and how, how your new structure interacts with all of, the, all of that movement and all of those moving pieces, all those variables, right? And so something that a lot of people don't know today is that um, it, is hum it, is, it, is tech it is entirely tech-enabled, right? Like something that, would, that most people think is an art and something that most people think is, is you know, humans who are smart and experienced making these decisions, they're not. They're just overseeing the machines that make those decisions, right? right. And so yeah. this is exactly what we're doing with marketing and advertising, right? What we do is essentially, oh, there's all these variables you can't account for in marketing and advertising, right? We've narrowed it down to four primary variables. This is really important. Um, there's audience targeting, right? How do you build the audience that you target um, through digital advertising? Um, there is the creative and the branding. What is the look and feel of, of the product that you're selling and the, the imagery and the, the videography that you're putting across? Um, there's the value prop and the messaging. Um, that's like the copywriting. Yeah. And then the fourth one is the landing page slash the price point. Um, what's the what's the consumer what is the consumer journey to com from from seeing ad to completing purchase, right? Now those those four different things are in and of themselves can be their own fields of study, their own unique discipline. Like you can have a team that just specializes, and in fact there are marketing there are martech companies that just specialize in some subset of one of those areas that I mentioned, because those are huge umbrella areas, right? That digital marketers are still like trying to unpack, right? And so here's our approach, right? We essentially do, we, so MarPipe is an eight week exercise. It's a service product that takes eight weeks to complete from start to finish. And what we do is we answer all the question marks that a, an entrepreneur or business owner may have about their service or product when it comes to selling it. Right, all the things that we talked about that, that that they're confused about on what works best, we figure that out through this exercise, and here's how we do it. So we start by mass variable generation. So so we create, we think of like a hundred potential audiences we can build, right? That this would be suitable for. Mm -hmm. Then we do research and narrow that down to about twenty. These are umbrella category audiences. Think like hipsters, bikers, frat guys, military veterans like psychographic audience groups, right? right? Um, and then when it comes to the, when it, when, and then for, for creative, we create custom creative for every audience that we decide we're gonna test. So like we'll create like three different creative strategies, right? Like four different creatives. And then we'll also create a generic constant that's, that's a constant variable across all the tests, right? And then we'll also pair the, those ads with like three different ways to three different, three of the best value props that are all completely unique and separate from each other, mm -hmm. right? And so you, and then beyond that, we also then create a bunch of landing pages, right? That all are consistent with the ad that the person saw that, uh, that have different price points even and have different, like different, different UX UI factors, right? That influence the consumer behavior on those pages. And so there's all these permutations Right, and what we do is we essentially, when we deploy this exercise, after we create all those variables, we launch this massive campaign with hundreds of ads, but the best part, the hundreds of ads that are testing each permutation of all those variables working together with each other. Yeah. And when you, when you launch a test like that, you're launching hundreds of ads, um, but the best part is that we do it at extremely low ad spend. 
right? And most of the, like the, 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 that's a big problem that we had to solve because it's like, well, you know, you need to spend a lot on each ad to collect enough data to see whether it works or not. But actually, you know, if you apply, um, if, you, if you apply essentially an F-test, which is a way to account for statistical significance, mm -hmm. you can deploy really low ad spend per ad and essentially run a regression model um, using, you know, a, a, like a, we apply a Python script, which is essentially like an algorithmic machine learning system that we've implemented that essentially evaluates the future potential of every single ad that we run at low ad spend, right? And when you run an exercise like that, you see all these like outliers like emerge. Inevitably, you see these like high performance outliers that stick out from the from the group, right? right. Yeah. And almost always, those are like incredibly surprising to the brand and things that like they have they would never think of. Let me give you an example. One of our one of the clients that we worked with is uh, is a, a men's grooming subscription service, right? They sell men's grooming products, right? Um, and they're oriented at like maintaining and grooming your beard, right? right? And so you know, like they had, I mean, and they're 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 a big business. They do like 1.3 million per month in rev, and they they have like um, you know they spend between 200 to 250k per month just on Facebook Business Manager. So Jeez. so they're they're really they're really you know some some big boys in the field. Yeah. And so you know they always had this like branding and messaging that was like funny, like manly man, right? Like Dan Bilzerian was one of their spokespeople. So they were very like lifestyle oriented, right? Um, and macho. And what we discovered was that among their top, their highest affinity, that the people that, that are most likely to purchase their product at the cheapest cost, like by far the cheapest, among those groups were religious Sikhs, like <laughs> Sikh men. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then, um, and then gamers who like Nintendo, and esports and people who, who who engage with esports communities. Really, they oh, they hell. never knew that, right? They never knew that. And now, what as a result of this test, not only do they know that these people have an extremely high affinity for their brand that they 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 had no idea about, they now also know exactly how to speak to them, because they know what creative and messaging and copywriting strategy works best for those people. Because we've tested everything. Damn. And so, and so now they're, they're, they're investing big money, big sponsorship buys in esports like festivals right. and, and, and gatherings Evo, and conferences those, yeah. Yeah. and, and beyond that, they, so they know that's going to work. Right. And beyond that, they know exactly what to write, what to say, what to show them, what graphics to use to appeal most to that audience. There's no question marks anymore. There's no arbitrary decisions. Right. And the, they know they're gonna get a return on this. And beyond that, we can even project how much they'll get a return based on if we if we if we can tell, if we can understand how many people will see it. I'm actually getting goosebumps just Yeah, yeah, that's really this. interesting. The and the creative part was uh was also done through the uh, the Marpipe uh, system, right? Yeah, we generate all creative in-house. So we have like a really simple onboarding guide for companies that we engage with. Um, you know, it's just give us your logo files, give us your the creative and branding assets you've used in the past. Um, just give us like this big Dropbox folder with like all these different things that we say we, we want to look at. Right. Um, and then with the actual creative copywriting and all that stuff, we all do in-house because it's all like controlled. Like we don't want to, we, we want to, we need to be able to control that process in order to create all the things we want to create. So we have sophisticated production capabilities and we produce video content, uh, ad carousels and graphics and all that stuff all in-house for all of our exercises. Um, and brands need not worry because before we publish anything on behalf of a brand, uh, we get their stamp of approval on it all. 
Okay. I've, and, I have a bit of uh, a bit of experience with Facebook Business Manager. When you refer to the carousels and stuff, I'm I'm inclined to think that you guys use uh, Facebook uh, advertising as the testing method, or do you guys? Yeah. So we exclusively use Facebook Business Manager, and okay. it's not because Facebook and Instagram is cool or anything. It's it's because it's the in the marketing world right now. It's the most sophisticated system for targeting people. Okay. So you can build the best audiences there. The second something comes along that has better audience building features, we're just going to pivot to that. Got so it. we're not dependent on Facebook. We're just dependent on whatever exists at the time in the in the market that yeah. has the most sophisticated targeting capabilities. And right now that happens to be Facebook. No, no. I remember looking through it and I was like, wow, this is this is advanced. Someone ha ha this is a full time job just to yeah. Yeah, actually you master this stuff. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and so, you know, we run this exercise, we find the, the outliers, um, in terms of performance, um, we, we then advance them to the next phase, right? So like the first phase is like, we call it like the tester phase, like mm -hmm. this eight week exercise has multiple phases. And in our workflow, the first phase is where we like test like everything, right? And then in the next phase, like, and then after that first phase, we run it for a few days and then we see, okay, well, here are the things that are like definitely the winners, like the outliers, right? Yeah. Like, wow, like this one ad with this particular copy targeting this audience was like was generating like 7x return on ad spend. Like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Like, like out of the hundreds, like let's move, let's advance that winner to the next phase. And so essentially we pick like four to five winners to move on to the next phase. Now at the next phase, right, when we're running those winners, we're testing more things, right? Like we start testing, like there we'll do like the landing page tests, yes. oh, right? Okay. And there we'll, we'll put in even more copy and put in even more creative. And so the baseline for performance at phase two is the best performance you saw from phase one. The, the worst performance you see in phase two is the best performance you saw in phase one, right? And so each phase keeps raising the bar yeah right as you find the winners and the outliers and you keep like, advancing them onto the next phase as the winners and then you test more and more and more and then eventually you've tested everything and then you know exactly what's going to work oftentimes these things are extremely unexpected right like for the example let's like to, just to run with the example that i gave you right so they used a lot of copy that was that did well on their social right like a lot of funny stuff right. jokes lifestyle things right it's funny did it for the culture yeah. it's only relatable to white men the stuff they were posting right uh, so i'm guessing their their right? audience targeting was like hipsters and stuff like that like well well no, let's let, let's uh let's 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 take it back it it, it was it, it was good what they were posting was great for social and they have an incredible social strategy they crush it right and actually uh, I want to backpedal on the fact that it's only uh, appealing to white men because, you know, they're just targeting men and they don't have just like white men in their ads. Um, yeah. So right. let me backpedal on that. Um, but they do. So like they, their copy that works really well in social. I mean, they crush it. They have like over like well over a million followers on Instagram. Right. So clearly they have their their shit together. Um, but, but it wasn't translating. But essentially they were using that stuff in ads and it was great for traffic but terrible for conversions, right? People were clicking on it because it was funny, but they weren't ready, they, like, they weren't looking to buy something, right? Okay. And so like, they got some conversions, but like, not really, right? And so what, what, we, what we found out was that, and essentially what we've done is, 
uh, like we've categorized every single like style of messaging, right? Yeah. Like what, what we do is we've created this thing called um, a Marpipe code, right? Where essentially, um, I know this is visual and like we're doing a podcast right now, but just so you can see it, right? We have for everybody at home. variables. Yeah, for everybody at home right now, he's showing us the, uh, the final product that gets sent out to the, uh, to the uh, clients when they're done yeah. with all this. And so it's, it's, so as in the final report, we lay out our methodology and this is really core to our methodology. So every single ad can be categorized by a Marpipe code, which looks like this, right? Mm -hmm. And so what this code tells us about what type of messaging is being used, right? Out of ethos, logos, pathos, there's three subcategories. And then what type of creative, the format and the type. Right. Yeah. And so every single ad that you that you ever see online can be can be assigned a Marpipe code. Right. Yes. And so what happens is the Marpipe code breaks down the unique type of marketing stimulus that you're getting. Literally right? the nerve that you guys are like prodding at that exact it, nerve. Exactly. Got it. That's so brilliant. That's like that's legitimately I, wow, brilliant. That is. <laughs> Thank you. I, and and for for our audience, it's just. That that uh, that whole package is really nice. You give that to all your clients, like for each individual. At the end of the uh, the eight week uh, trial period, or yeah. The, uh, yeah, the process. Yeah. So like, we don't just give them a deck. We want to give them something physical they can hold. Yeah. Um, for two reasons: one, so they can show their friends. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Then, Smart. And then two, um, it's it's kind of like our our like we want to kind of just like try to do things that push boundaries and in a world where everything is so digital, it's all done through like decks and stuff like that. And we just kind of want to do like something less like traditional, right? Which is just like, it's a, it's like a coffee table book. Yeah, I was yeah. literally no, just right? about to say nice. that. That yeah. looks literally like something I would put yeah. on yeah. my coffee table and my mom would just like it's beautiful. flip through it. Yeah. yeah, It's really, it really is beautiful. The the package that you present to your clients, yeah. it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. I think returning this human element yeah. is, is super yeah. important. I mean, there's all this like high in the stuff, digital data stuff, but at the end of the day, it's in, a, it's in something you can hold. Yeah. Right. right, which really brings it all back. Yeah, and it's super uh, information. I'm just looking at some of the stuff. It's super dense, man. Like all that, uh, all the, uh, you know, the quantitative stuff. And yeah. this is, the, this is the, the, the culmination of all the data-driven environments that you're running all in this book gets delivered. And ultimately, the client now no longer has any variables. This is the exact methodology. This is what they should be acting on. Exactly. Um, when they have this book, there's nothing that we've done that they don't that like that that remains unknown to them. Like they see every single every single relevant piece of data, but we try to do it in a beautiful way because data is ugly, right? And that's why data visualization is a field in and of itself. Yeah. Right. And so we've studied information design. Um, uh, like our team in order to reach this, this, this actual branding and style. Um, and, um, you know, here you can, like, there's a key, right? And here you can see the phases and here you can see all the audiences we were using and all the different things we were testing in each phase, right? And so we break down all the variables you could ever want to know, right? At the end, what we do is we also, we not only tell you, you know, here, look, we, so this is a company, again, for three years has been spending 250K per month mm -hmm. on Facebook Business Manager, okay? The, we, we, we increased their Oh, Dan, sorry to, sorry to slow your roll. Yeah, just we, like, yeah. We, we increased their average click-through rate by 752%. We lowered their cost per result by 89%. 
and we uh, increased their average return on ad spend by 438%. Now that's just in the that's just comparing the ads that performed best that we ran uh, to their averages. So let me just be clear. That's 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 kind of like a skewed statistic, okay. right? Meaning like it's like our best performing ads were able to break through th- through these performance barriers. Um, and we're comparing that against the average of their entire campaign. Okay. Okay. So okay. it's it's it, we didn't like actually like do this for their entire ad account, but what we are doing is like these those ads that I just mentioned to you that broke through those performance uh, barriers. We are now scaling those up for them and taking over more and more of the ad spend of their account in order to scale those campaigns. And what we're seeing is the performance remains the same. Um, and then beyond that. And you're doing this relatively way cheaper compared to what they were doing with their averages for their, uh, their, their marketing previously. We've tested every single thing you could ever test for this product. And the amount of total ad spend we used for this entire eight-week exercise was around three and a half K. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. So imagine that 250000 applied uh, with, you know. The Marpipe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's almost as if like they were wasting money doing all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is that way. Right. right? In the past. Right. right. And so it's like, like, and they've been spending so much of it. Right. But yeah. now they know how, how to make their dollars go so much further. Yeah. Right. And why did that all happen in the first place? How did that all happen? Because th- they worked they, like because of the traditional marketing mindset. Yeah. Oh, we right. think this is going to work. Right. And then ultimately it's not, it, it never is. You discover these crazy things about your own customers and your own product that you'd never think. It comes full circle. It really, it yeah. really does. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed not to create the draw parallel between uh, the stock market where everything went algorithmic. Yeah. They had high frequency trading yeah. bots doing uh-huh. all this because Makes ultimately sense. speaking, yeah. people could no longer, people could no longer compete. And there's obviously based on your research and all the proof that you've put in yeah. front of people, it's really showing that data-driven is, a. if you're trying to break through into a new plateau, this is truly the way to go with something so large as the global marketing industry. I don't, I don't know. I do have a question. Uh, I don't know how far you went in terms of, um, you know, like uh, ad spend with this campaign, but um, seeing how efficient Marpipe is with, with the ad spend that you guys used, um, would you guys see yourselves actually hitting that $250,000 ad spend or would that just be like, you know, uh, minimizing returns at, at some point, like at some ad spend at, at some? No, yeah, of course there's diminishing yeah. returns. Like right. Of course, like when you, when you run a campaign on a really small scale, you can see really great performance, but then right. when you spend it all, you start working through all the audience there and then you, eventually you start seeing your returns fall off. Now we've accounted right. for that. Okay. And what we do okay. is, is, we, is, is we put together predictive models at the end of our exercise that says, here's how you can scale it, right? And, and our, our, our predictions that we generate are graphs, our performance graphs, right? And they, are, they, they have factored in there, and this is again how we use machine learning and apply it to advertising. They factor in the, like, the potential for this ad to diminish, and that's a, that's a formula that's calculated based on like, that audience size and how long it takes us to work through like, the best customers in that audience. Okay. Right. So the, the, literally the highest level of efficiency. Exactly. Because at some point you have to turn off the faucet. It just doesn't make any sense. To oh, me. yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Like there's probably only so many religious Sikh men who will, right. who, who will engage. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, so many gamers. There's only so but it, many. But it's important to get them, right? If you no, look it is. At, if, yeah. if you look at the, um, the, the unique, so like a lot of people, a lot of marketers rely on like 
uh, Facebook pixel lookalike audiences, which right. essentially, um, for, for anyone who may not know what that is, it, it's just like, um, Facebook will track the people who buy from you and they'll create an audience of people who are not those people, but who look most like those people. And those work really well because people who look a lot like your existing customers are also likely to be your, become your customers, right? Yeah. But the thing is that audience, and that, that, that's a really sophisticated tool. Like it works really well, right? Um, and, but the, there's like this thing called like audience data health, which is essentially like um, if, you're, if your audience, if your customers all resemble like just like one type of people, your pixel audience is going to look really unhealthy because it's not going to be like diversified and you're not going to yeah. be finding new customers. You're only going to be kind of like retargeting existing ones. And then right? it, it, does, it just becomes inefficient in the long run. Yeah. Exactly. And, and cool. so it tapers off. And so the best way to take advantage of this extremely sophisticated tool is to introduce new customers, unique, new unique customers, like acquire new customers from different psychographic pockets. Right. right. And that creates like a really diverse and healthy pixel audience. And correct right? me if I'm wrong, but the uh, for the pixel to work, um, you need a certain minimum amount of uh, per, uh, like uh, customers conversions. Yeah, about 100. OK. All right. Uh, yeah, so much. That's, yeah. Right. that's man. Just based based on performance alone, it's it's super. I mean, Mar Marpipe obviously works. It's a it's a working, feasible product. Mm -hmm. And. Do you see, do you see, I mean, obviously people are, I have no doubt in my mind, people see your work and go, do for this, do for this, keep, keep, keep applying. Do you see like these larger uh, digital advertising uh, companies switching like, uh, like uh, Group M or Mindshare and like all these really, really large, these guys throw billions of dollars at, at ad spend every year. Do you, do you, I, I, I'm, I apologize for, for my, the way I'm phrasing this question, but do you see these guys adapting this level of uh, precision anytime soon? I don't see why they wouldn't aside from relationships. Mm. Um, and aside from the, the fact that, um, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm, I'm 23. So like to essentially to, this is this we, we see this as a good like Trojan horse, a good foot in the door, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is a, a, a distinct competitive advantage that exists that no other agency or no other consultancy brings to the table. Right. And so and it's a, you know, I've never been in a pitch that went bad. Right. I've never I, I actually, you know, BizDev is right now all of our new clients and our business just comes from word of mouth of existing clients. Um, so we have done zero sales marketing. This is probably the most promotional thing I've ever done for Marpipe. <laughs> um, so I'm uh, sold, man. I'm so sold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. have a product to sell. I want to use it. Like I want to <laughs> use Marpipe. So, I mean, so like, you know, and then, and we're seeing, we're seeing so many like actually really interesting use cases emerge. So like in one scenario, we're applying it to new entrepreneurs who like raise money and then like, you know, now they have a marketing budget, but before they spend any of that budget, they want to run a Marvibe exercise. So they know how to make the most out of those dollars. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. We're seeing uh, medium sized businesses apply this to, you know, if, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? They're always looking at launching new products and services and stuff like that. And they're actually using it and applying it to products and services that, are, that they're thinking about creating that don't exist yet. 
to to market validate them. Yeah, and yeah. I remember this is how we started talking about this. Yeah. I, Chris, I remember um, having this idea. I remember this was months ago. I was like, you know what? There should be a way to test, um, you know, products that don't exist, just to you know, an audience that does exist, and see how that product would perform. Yeah. And that so fast forward a couple months, and uh, I'm like, Dan, what do you do? And, um, well, that's not how it went exactly, but I was, you know, I asked Dan, how does Marvel pipe work? And this is exactly what you told him. You're like, Hey, you know, imagine being able to test products that don't exist yet yeah. and seeing how they perform. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So we apply like this rigorous, like tech enabled methodology that uses data science to products and services that don't exist yet. And we can predict with incredible accuracy how they're going to perform when they launch, which as an entrepreneur enables you to make the decision of how much you want to invest in that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you might be surprised. You might think you have the best idea. Everyone does. And then you're like, this doesn't sell. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's important for you to know that before you invest a, you know, two years of your time and your kid's college savings into building right. this company yeah. that's going to flop. You can understand real-time market dynamics, how real-time consumers and audiences react to, uh, to, to, what, to what you want to bring to the table. Um, you know, um, it's just... It's you like let's let's take a look like let's briefly take a look at the existing market validation industry right. What does market validation is an industry in and of itself right? Like these Fortune 500s, these big boys, like they really don't like they've launched products that have flopped before and services that flopped before, and that's really painful because they allocate these big teams that spend a lot of time and all this production manufacturing goes into bringing something to store shelves or to the technology platform that they have that ends up flopping. Yeah. Right. right. And so, you know, even, even like particularly with tech companies too, like you, like I'm talking about like consumer packaged goods here, but also tech companies, like how many times have you seen these big apps like Snapchat launch new features and products and additions to their services, spend so much time creating it and doing it, and then it, it, it's, it, it's like, it's like terrible. Yeah, yeah right? huge flop. So it's, it's a huge flop, like, right? So- Are you thinking about the snap goggles or what are the snap glasses? Snap glasses were a big <laughs> failure. They're also their new interface that they launched. Remember that one time they kind of restructured their entire app and, yeah. and like took out some yeah. features and added in some new ones. And there was like a huge public outcry over that. Right. Right. And so and there was like a petition with like millions of signatures for Snap <laughs> to like bring back like the old, yeah. the old UI. Yeah. Oh, so like I'm thinking I'm right now thinking because you brought up a uh, consumer facing like uh, like uh, old, old companies like Nintendo, mm -hmm. old companies, 100 years old, not really partial to change. And they believe that their their methodology has always been the way. And specifically, when I think uh, when I think about like the Wii when it came mm -hmm. out, everybody loved the Wii. Everybody mm -hmm. needed a Wii. Mm -hmm. Fast forward when they iterated with the Wii U, nobody really understood what it was, and ultimately they had to can that entire that entire line. But that's lots of money that gets put into manufacturing. That's lots of money trying to develop games for your system right. that ultimately is not delivered. To your audience right right now now why why does this happen so often well let's take a look at what companies do to market validate today um there's really two primary things right they go to branding agencies right um that and they go to like these research agencies right now uh the the research the branding agencies will essentially say oh like he, you want to create this product here's going to be the best way for you to bring it to market here's like the type of people who will who, like here's the messaging that should surround it all this like stuff right yeah and it's it's tremendously expensive um then and and that process not data driven at all 
terrible, terrible process. Just a bunch of people in a room deciding on what, what they like the best, right? Brings it back to like the, the core inefficiency. And you just wonder like, how could that even still be happening? It, that's what people do. Um, then number two, it's research agencies, right? Now, a little more data-driven, a little more rigorous. They bring in survey groups, they bring in, you know, they bring in people to test the product and they collect their responses and their feedback, right? But still extremely flawed because, you know, in, psycho in consumer psychology, there's like, you know, this whole thing called the survey group effect where like your behavior and your reactions and, and your answers and your beliefs, when you know you're in a survey group environment are completely different than how you would nat naturally behave in a marketplace setting, mm. right? Like the most organic, the, the, the purest way to understand how consumers would react to your product is not to bring them into a room with a good looking guy who like gives them a tour of the product. It's to serve them an ad cold. Yeah, right. Because that's what you're gonna be doing when your product launches to sell it, yeah. right? And so that's exactly what we do to market validate products today. And the amount of data we collect on how people react to it, how people think about it, let, lets, us, lets us even predict how much people are willing to pay for it, right? Yeah. yeah. Based on our landing page data. Did so, you did you find any uh, surprising things there? Because you know I've heard um, I've heard companies scared to price their uh, products at certain you know prices, and then they yeah. do, and they're like pleasantly surprised to see that consumers will pay that price. Yes. So right now, uh, so we're so we're working with a um, with a gear and apparel brand um, that started out tar targeting the tactical consumer, but uh, ever since running a morphic exercise, is now targeting like the urban executive. Okay. Um, and so what they, they are launching this new like collection of products and backpacks actually, which I have some in my office right now. I'll show you guys after, like they have these prototypes created. Okay. Um, they created new pro a new product line for this audience that they didn't know they had that we discovered. Right. So we're testing. Okay. Like when we tested that product before it existed, it, it did really well. And you know, what we discovered was that the amount people were willing to pay for it was on average $30 higher than the price that they would set for it organically. Nice. Right. And so we found the sweet spot for them. Um, and then, um, also, um, in another instance, we're working with a tech company that's creating a social app that's backed by Google. Um, and they have a lot of questions about what sort of features they should cook into their app. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, any, any, any developer will tell you that when they're working with a team, there's a lot of debates on like what to do, right? Oh, should we do this feature or should we do that feature, right? And yeah. it's like, these are, these are really substantial questions to answer. And these are really heated debates because that, that decides like what you guys spend the next month doing. Yeah. Right? And you don't want to waste, you don't want to resources, waste time developing uh, implementation that obviously leads nowhere. Exactly. And so by understanding, like if, like what we do is we apply Marpipe to that to solve those questions because by understanding like what the different features are and like what value you're bringing to the table, we can package that into ads and see how people respond to it. So we can immediately understand like there's no more questions in the development process. In fact, I'd argue that you can start with like a basic idea of I want to create a backpack company with no other information and you literally just use Marpipe to figure out like what sort of backpack company consumers would react best to today. Right. Like, so we're using it to answer all these like big questions for all these people, because, you know, there's all these debates about what do the people want. Right. And the current and that's market. That's the essential question of market validation. And the current two ways of doing that today, billion dollar industry again, you know, are are like are wrong almost all the time. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It, 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 it's crazy that a predictive and 
literally what you're describing or what it sounds like is you've created a pseudo predictive engine that everybody obviously i feel like you've created the holy grail to to literally answering the questions you want me to you want me to take it a step further and blow your mind a little more i'm i'm, I'm ready <laughs> all right so let's so so this is this is like the like really like the next frontier right so like even like even though this seems like so you know revolutionary like oh why isn't this already being being done like Here's how we're gonna take it further. So we're collecting all this data. We have like this data warehouse, this SQL data warehouse, where, where we understand like all these, like we have all these consumer audiences built out and we understand exactly what sort of marketing stimulus they respond to. One of the things we're discovering is that people care a lot less about the product that you're selling and care a lot more about how you're selling it to them. Yeah, right? okay. Like the actual product matters a lot less. Like whether it's a pen or whether it's a computer, right? it matters a lot less what the product is rather than how you're selling it to them, right? Okay. And using these MarPipe codes that we use to classify the unique genre of marketing stimuli people respond to, we see these trends emerge about these different audience groups and what sort of like what marketing stimuli they respond to most. And we're seeing these patterns emerge about like, okay, these type of people want to see a carousel with facts and stats that is like that, that is a, you know, a meme like format. Right. Okay. Like that's what, that's what they buy off of. Right? Literally the and you can sell system. them. And if you use that format, you can sell them any product successfully. Just cause they're visually attracted to that sort of ad, uh, creative or right. that, that, that delivery that's system. Right. That's yeah. that delivery. I guess other tech implemented in that, like uh, right. IOT or anything. I mean, you right. know, augmented reality, they could, I mean, that's, that's very impressive. You, you, that, you're really building a new frontier of, of just, yeah. of just market. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. This sounds so Orwellian in, in, its, yeah. in its like implementation and its deployment. That it's it's, it's kind of scary, yeah. but me, it's effective. I mean, Jeez. yeah, it's it, and you know, it's like me and my team are 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 all super aligned on this vision. We all have a bone to pick with the traditional marketing world. We all know like I know exactly what to do. Like we have a roadmap to accomplish that, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like two years out, um, and so like. We are really aligned on this. My team is a team of just absolute savages. I, I, like, they're really, really talented at what they do. My engineer, my data scientist, my campaign manager, my creative director. Um, and like, we're, 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 go, we're going to make it happen. Um, they're like, we, and I'm just lucky to have a team that's like on board for it, right? And it like is willing to like iterate on these ideas with me. So it's super yeah. important. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. How, how can, um, you know, our audience learn more about you guys i know you guys have the website marpipe.com that's m-a-r-p-i-p-e.com and that, that stands for marketingpipe.com Mar marketing pipelines it's Pipe. short for marketing okay. pipelines yeah. yeah and people can follow you on your instagram oh yeah we have uh so our instagram is our instagram handle is at marpipe co so m-a-r-p-i-p-e-c-o um we have around uh four and a half thousand followers there and we do like marketing tips and um, probably going to post a lot of different things of, uh, mashups of, of this interview there yeah. in yeah. the future. So, um, and then, uh, and then on our website, marpipe.com, which is super minimal right now, but, uh, we want to keep it that way intentionally. Um, you know, we're selective about what clients we take. Um, it's another note. Um, you know, we have turned away, uh, clients before because, uh, we just didn't think it was like strategically aligned. We want to right now, 
um, we're in a unique position where we can actually like pick what people we want to work with and our decision making process behind who we pick to work with is based on like what those people's network are and how like how far that can advance us right because yeah. again it's a mutually beneficial relationship right i'm not just looking to make money off the client I'm looking to see what kind of relationships they have what kind of industry they're in whether it's something unique right and so you know we we factor those things into into our process as well but um you know if you go on marpipe.com um, and you're interested in reaching out and having a conversation with me directly, you literally just click the get started button. You just submit your information and I'll reach out to you. Nice. And, yeah. and is there any, um, is there any, I guess, industry or business, um, that can't benefit from Marpipe? You know, I haven't thought of one yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, this, this just works. Literally off the top of my head, I could think. Wow, with technology like this, you could probably revolutionize how the next American political system might look in 2020 or 2022. I didn't even think of that. You know, yeah, you know what's crazy yeah. is that, yeah, look, so we can not only apply this to political candidates to rapidly iterate like what the population in a state will is likely to vote for and what that person like looks and, and says, but we also can apply it to like film as well. Right. Okay. Like, for instance, like if you have like a like a movie project. Right. I mean, you're raising millions of dollars from film investors. Yeah. Right. right. Film investing is notoriously like terrible for returns. It's really, really risky as an asset class. Yeah. Right. Um, but you have all these like execs in L.A. that, you know, are just pumping money into like films. Some of them who make it big. Those guys make a lot of money off of it. And if they flop, which usually they do, they lose it. Um, but what you can do is like you can actually like let's say you want to do and Netflix already has an algorithm for this, but uh, like, you know, based on viewer trends and habits, they can actually predict like what the, what kind of series people will want. Like, like, oh, like they'll want like a thriller based in like 80s mob scene. They, right? could, get that, they could get that. Like, yes. And then they'll and then they'll go and produce it. Yeah. They, and, so, so they'll just know I want to see uh, cyber cyberpunk in Brazil. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And oh so God. what we can do is we can use this to actually test whether the people want to see that because we can create like, you know, it's really simple to just create like some simple like graphic promotional material and some really short video clips and stuff like that. Just describing the premise of like uh, a, a new, a new film yeah. or like where the, where the scenery is, what the decade is, what the storyline is, whether what genre of film it is and see how people react to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I, I, there's there's so much more I want to talk to you about, um, and we're we're approaching. Oh, we're well over an hour now, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Chris, is there anything else? Like honestly, this is crazy. This is a this is a high quality podcast. Yeah. Right now. I'm learning so much. Uh, Dan, yeah. thank you so very much for being on the episode. There's yeah. so much we 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 I I literally could go on just. <laughs> pontificating about all the yeah. different ways your product could literally change but we're gonna have to call it a wrap on this one thank you for having me fellas i really appreciate yeah, it definitely this Everybody. is and this Take has been out. dan patello of marpipe block party podcast concluding all right all right let's call it a wrap And this has been this week's episode of Block Party. I would like to thank Dan for taking his time out of his weekend and exploring the changing future of marketing. You can contact Dan through his website at www.marpipe.com and through their Instagram. This has been a Block Party production. 
We hope you enjoy our content because we do this for you. Today's episode has been filmed at WeWork Soho. We appreciate you listening to this episode of Block Party. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, and wherever you listen to your podcasts at. If you're more visual, make sure to check out our episodes on YouTube and subscribe to our content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to see behind the scenes with our guests and us in the lab. Make sure to leave us comments, suggestions, and likes for future episodes so that we could continue to improve and bring you better and better content. And as always, thank you and welcome to the block. Thank you.